we were about in the middle, uh, of my notes anyway, of uh, distaste and disappointment. And we talked about the fact that uh, when Moses uh, sees what's taking place, we know that his displeasure uh, was actually a representative of God. It was a mirror of God's displeasure when he smashes the Ten Commandments at the base of the mountain, and it signifies that God's law has been fully broken, uh, and uh, there's going to need to be uh, atonement. There's going to need to be someone to intercede. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? That the law has been broken and someone is going to need to intercede. Someone's going to have to walk back up a hill and intercede on behalf of the people. And we'll get to that, that Moses takes that place very much a picture of what Christ would do as he would walk up to the hill of Jerusalem, up to the city, going to intercede on behalf of humanity uh, with the cross. But at this particular time, um, Moses takes the calf and he grinds it into powder and all the people have to drink it. And we looked at that last week and we know that uh, if God gives you a full dose of your idols, it won't taste near as good as you thought it would, will it? All of the idols of the world, they come with strings attached, don't they? They come with strings attached. I was listening to Alistair Begg one time. Uh, any of you guys listen to Alistair Begg? Scottish-sounding preacher on the radio. Uh, he's up in Cleveland, Ohio. And, uh, you know, he was talking about uh, these guys that they finally get the car of their dreams, right? And they have to park it like eight miles out uh, on the parking lot at an angle, right? Uh, and, and they have to worry that there's never a hailstorm, that uh, something doesn't happen to the car, you know, that something, you know, that, 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 that the things that we hold on to so tightly, the things of this world, they come with strings attached. You've got to pay a lot of attention to them. And you can't really keep them anyway. There's no guarantee that they survive. But not the things of the Lord. The things of the Lord, uh, they can't be purchased. And they're protected by the Lord. That's why Jesus said, don't lay up for yourself treasure on earth, which rust and corrupts. But in heaven, you lay up treasure in heaven where it can't be touched by mankind. You never have to see it go away. It will only be preserved for eternity when you get there waiting for you. There's nothing on this earth that can do that. And yet the children of Israel still chose to worship not only gold, they knew where the gold came from, it came out of their ears. And they fashioned a calf and they fashioned something that they could look at and they could worship. And you think about that's true of everything. I, I like a, I like a beautiful car as much as anybody as far as looking to be. But then you remember, wow, this actually is nothing but rubber that came from the rainforest, uh, steel and molten you know, metals that came out of the earth. It's just something that people fashion together. And then when you have like a wildfire in Colorado or the ones that are recently in California roll over said car, it goes right back to dust and ashes where it came from, doesn't it? Everything that is an idol, eventually God will ground it all to powder, won't he? Lately, as I mentioned, I think I mentioned it last week, uh, I can't remember sometimes the things that I said yesterday, much less last week, but I, do, I think I might have mentioned 
rainbows that we've seen several of them lately. And we had another on Wednesday night. I didn't see it, but some of you took pictures where the rainbow actually landed on our church. Well, it appeared to land on our church from, uh, from you know, people driving in. The one end of it seemed to go, I have, I have the picture to prove it, by the way. It looked like it goes straight into the top of the building. And, and I've been thinking about why Lord's been showing all these rainbows in Richmond lately. And I, I've lived here since 2000 and late 2002, and I can count on one hand all the rainbows I've seen since 2002, since living here. And then I can count five in the last, like, 11, 12 days. And say, well, it's just a weather phenomenon. You don't understand how weather works, do you? You know, things like that. I know all that, but yet whenever God shows something, he's saying something at the same time. And we know that it's a promise that he will never do what? He will never what to the entire world again? Flood it. Hey, he's fled lots of different parts. If you lived on the banks of the Mississippi at times, you've been flooded. If you've lived at certain parts of the country, you've seen flash floods. He's flooded isolated areas, but he's never again going to flood the entire earth. But at the same time, Peter tells us the whole earth is reserved for fire, that everything will be consumed. So the same rainbow that promises us that God will be gracious, also promises us that judgment is coming. Now, that doesn't frighten me because uh, I'm a child of God. I won't experience the wrath of the Lord. How about you? You're a child of the Lord. You won't. You'll be safe in his arms, but everything will be ground into powder. The golden calves of every description will be ground into powder. By the end of the age, God will do it. What Moses did to one idol will be done to them all. And that's why we want to already in our life not hold on to those things. Not that having some things are wrong. All of you have some possessions that you're glad God gave you. You're blessed by them. I do too. But do your possessions have you or do you have them? And are you willing to give them to someone else if someone really needed or give them up? We have to be able to ask ourselves, Lord, where is this really in my life? It's one thing to dance around your idols, it's another thing for God to see that you're so in love with them that he gives you over to them and you totally ingest them and you then realize that going down, this is not what I thought it would be. It's not what I had hoped it would be. And you know that if God really loves you, he's going to come and turn you from your idols if you have them. If I have them. And in times, times, God will show you, you're spending too much time with that. Too much time. That's taking away time from me. God will, uh, God will speak to us. He'll be clear with us. And uh, oftentimes, we ignore his voice and we invite his chastening, don't we? We invite it. When he's saying, hey, if you just listen to what I'm saying... I won't have to chase you. Just do what I say. Do what I say. A story of a small boy. His father had sent him to bed. Five minutes later, he says, Dad. Dad says, what? I'm thirsty. Can you bring me a drink of water? Any parents ever heard this before? <laughs> no. You had your chance. You ever had this line before? You had your chance. Lights out. Five minutes later, Dad. What? This is when your parents, when you really get comfortable back in your chair and you hear this, God, God doesn't ever get uncomfortable, but we do. But uh, 
I'm thirsty. Can I have a drink of water? I told you no. If you ask again, I'll have to discipline you. Five minutes later. Dad, what? When you come to discipline me, can you bring me a drink of water? <laughs> that's, that's how determined... That's how determined we often are to do it our way. Well, God, you don't understand. I need this. Sometimes the child really is thirsty, but sometimes the parent knows they're not. God says, I've told you no. You pick it up. You go forward with that, and I'm going to deal with you as I deal with all sons that I love. I will chasten you. Is that what you want me to do? Is that what you need me to do? I will do it. I'm glad God loves me enough to correct me, aren't you? But it's not always easy, is it? It's not always easy. When God gives you things that you really want, Jeremiah 25, 27, Therefore you shall say to them, Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Drink, be drunk, and vomit. Go ahead. God says, all right. I'll give it to you. It's going to make you sick. I'm going to make sure that it makes you sick if he loves you. Micah 6, 14, you shall eat, but not be satisfied. Haggai, they actually, they, they were refusing to actually pay any attention to God's temple, but they were lavishing upon themselves their paneled houses, and their bags said, God said, I put holes in your bag. Everything you put in, it comes straight out. Until I get your attention, until you realize, this is many people, well, I'm not going to give to the Lord. Everything you have came from God. I, I'm not going to give to God. I can't afford it. I like what Pastor Tony Evans in Dallas says, you can't afford not to. That's, that's actually his counsel for people that are in the idolatry of their own stuff. Uh, they say, well, pa, you know, Pastor Evans, we can't, we can't afford to do anything. Uh, we, uh, you know, our, our, our life is a mess financially, and he goes, better start giving. Your time your talent, your treasure. Say, Lord, these things belong to you. Not that I'm going to take these things and make idols for myself, but I'm going to take what you've given me and reinvest it in the relationship that you've given me through Jesus Christ, your son. That's why. I don't know if for you personally, but that's, that's why I now pastor a church. I liked my job in corporate America. I liked doing those things. And God says, I know, but I have something else I want you to invest in. I know you like those things, you enjoy those things, but I've got something more important to you, and my word is far more important than how much software this company can sell and how much they can give to their stockholders and how much their investors can... You know, those things are not wrong in and of themselves, but as you mature in your walk, are you listening to the Lord and saying... No, I don't want to go back to Egypt. I want to listen to the Lord, do those things that he's asked me to do. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I know you'll have some people say it's the root of all evil. It's not the root of all evil. It's the root of all kinds of evil from which some have strayed from the faith. Listen to this. From which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, it's, it's noteworthy that it's a golden calf, 
Because even though idolatry in, in ancient times, and still today if you go to parts of uh, Southeast Asia, parts of Asia, parts of Africa, idolatry, you know, we're graven images. We don't really have that concept in America. Most people don't. Most people don't have graven images, but they do have a lot of images of gold, things that they purchased with money, and that's why the New Testament, 1 Timothy 6.10 there, tells us that the love of it has caused many to stray from the faith. I mentioned that uh, already uh, last week, that you've seen people that used to have a deep love for the Lord, and then God blessed them financially, and they didn't need God anymore. I, I remember the story, true story of, uh, of uh, some sisters, born-again believers, they came over from Russia, and they spent time in different cities with different Christian families, and, and they spent time with these different families, and they would observe uh, these Christian homes, and, and a lot of the women the Christian women in America felt really bad for these Russian women that were really poor. They didn't have any of the appliances and modern conveniences and all the great stuff that we have, and we still never have time, right? And uh, they said, you know, we, we feel so bad for you that you have to go back to your country and you don't have all the things that we have. And they said, don't feel bad for us. You have all these things and don't need God. We have none of them and we need him. And the children of Israel, they're out in the wilderness where the only thing they really should have had their eyes on was the Lord. That's the only thing Moses... Moses had left the wealth of... Matter of fact, Hebrews tells us that he esteemed the riches of Christ greater than the riches of Egypt. He had left all that behind. He could have stayed a prince. He could have kept uh, you know, the bank account quite large, but he gave those things up to actually serve the Lord. And the children of Israel, they were still looking back at the gold back at the things that are temporal, back at the things that are going to be ground up into powder anyway. Just like you can't hold on to your life, right? You're all a week older. You can't hold on to anything in this earth. I, was, I, I, I tweeted out an article from uh, Warren Buffett's business partner. I can't remember his name. Uh, he's an older gentleman. Uh, some of you may know his name, but uh, uh, you know Warren Buffett's business partner was talking about just recently that he realizes that uh, at his age, there's nothing more meaningless than another billion dollars. I know that you guys can't comprehend that. You're saying, I, I, could, I, I could figure out some things to do with that. I could figure out a lot of things to do with that. Uh, it, would, it would help, but God doesn't use, and he doesn't need, great sums. He actually owns it all. But the insignificance, he's realizing that, and he's talking about the fact that soon I'll be gone, and I won't be taking any of it with me. Now, Jesus said that. What will it profit if you gain the whole world? The idols of today, they may not be graven images, but they still have the same distaste. They still come up empty. And if they're not empty when you're 30 or in your 20s like LeBron James, they'll be empty when you get to be in your 80s and 90s and realize, I have all this stuff, I can't take it with me. I've had enough steak dinners in life. I've had enough trips around the world. I've had enough trips to Tahiti. I've had enough of this, that, and the other. I'm, I'm talking about people that achieve all the wealth that they could ever dream, which is very few of us. But you don't even have to have all that to still worship what you do have. That's the insidious thing. Well, I'm glad I'm not like that. Really? Because these were common Israelites that still worshiped the little bit they had. 
And they all had their eyes still back on the form of Egypt and the world. And Moses, we know how displeasured he was. But he was also severely disappointed. You know, Moses loved the people. Uh, as a pastor, but not just as a pastor, as, as you as the body of Christ, if you were to see someone stray from the faith, and it kind of breaks your heart when you talk to a person and you re- they used to have the zeal of the Lord. They used to have a fire for the Lord. They used to want to win people to Christ. And you talk to them like five years later and you run into them somewhere and all they want to talk to you about is all that they've acquired, all that they've accomplished, all that they've done, all the money they've now made, all the fantastic places they've been. Now, first of all, no one wants to hear everyone talk about some, themselves, right? We, we, we usually, after a while, we're like ready to get out of the room if someone has to, look, I get it, you're great. Your life is fantastic. You have done more than anyone else in the neighborhood. I get it. But it's really heartbreaking when a person used to love the Lord, but now they love the world. Because you realize, what they don't realize, is that God could call them home tomorrow. And they wouldn't stand before the Lord and say, let me tell you what I just told everybody else. Look how great I've done. Look how great I've accomplished. None of that stuff will matter. And Moses, is he's so disappointed that they left their first love and instead took their hearts back to Egypt. So what? why would you worship gods that God defeated? Why would you worship the very things that God annihilated? God knocked Pharaoh down numerous pegs, and you want his gods? Why would you go after things that all the chariots and all the horses, they were covered over by the waters of the Red Sea? Why why would you go back to that? That's a dead end. That's a death end, as we'll look at in our final point this morning. Why Why would you go back to that? So disappointed that not just some of the people, nearly all of the people, we're worshiping another God. I, I know it would break my heart if all of a sudden, if, if next Sunday, almost all of you but five decided you were going back to the world. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? That's, collectively, that's what they had decided. Collectively. And I believe that there's some of that is the way God looks down at the American church. That much of it has said, We'll have a little bit of you. Remember that Aaron still had the feast of the Lord on the same day that they were worshiping to the idol. That, that, well, we'll mix the two together. We can worship our stuff and worship God. But Jesus said it this way, you can't love God and mammon. You'll love the one or hate the other, but you can't have them both. Everyone's always been trying to hold on to both for so long. God says, you've got to let go of the one, and Moses was so disappointed. He, of course, was disappointed with his brother Aaron. As I mentioned before, Aaron loved the Lord. There's no question about that. He was God's chosen man to be the first high priest. The the, uh, priest of Levites of the household of Aaron would come out of his bloodline. 
He was the older brother that was right there. He was the older brother that took the servant role under the younger brother. How many of you older brothers could go serve your younger brother? I saw a hand go up. I didn't even ask for a hand, but, uh, you know, thank you for your honesty and your humility. A lot of people couldn't do that. The older brother, go serve the younger brother. Aaron was a humble man. Moses was the most humble man on the face of the planet, the Scriptures tell us. But Aaron was pretty humble himself, willing to humble himself and serve his brother. But he also was a holy man. God used him in a great and mighty way. And yet, he succumbed to the badgering of the people's fleshly desire. It's a warning that the constant voices of the world can drag you away. Amen? Amen? And this is not just, not just you know, children nagging their parents so their parents finally give in to a really dumb decision, which does happen. Sometimes it's been tragic. You've seen the stories on TV where a parent says, oh, I now wish I hadn't listened to him, let him go on spring break. Remember that poor girl that died down in, um, uh, in the Caribbean? You don't think her family would have said after the fact, maybe it wasn't the best to send her with a group of teens to a Caribbean island? You say, well, that's awful. I'm not being judgmental. I have three daughters. I think about those kind of things. How about you? I think about the unthinkable. How about you? If you're a good parent, you do. If a good parent thinks about the unthinkable, a good military soldier thinks about the unthinkable, a good police officer on a SWAT team thinks about the unthinkable, and if you're wise, you think about the things that not only might happen, but very well could happen, and you understand the evil. Now, Moses knew all the temptations that could come, but he thought Aaron had his back, didn't he? Somebody has to be there to actually speak for the Lord. And Aaron was a man that did speak for the Lord. But after 40 days of the droning of, give us something else, give us something else, make us another God, you know, this is why you might want to turn the news off sometimes, right? It's full of a lot of lies. A lot of droning of the world just trying to, and the media and all the things. And I, I, I have a TV and I watch some of these. I just make sure that you do it in doses and understand that the constant drumbeat of the world can wear you down and make you just say, well, why am I even standing firm? No one else is. It doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. If God be for you, who can be against you? That's why Joshua says, as for me and my house, regardless of what all the other houses do, we'll serve the Lord. That's what Joshua said. Of course, he was Moses' understudy. And Moses was said, for me, I'll stand for the Lord no matter what the people down in the valley do. When he found out what they were doing, he was disappointed with them, but he was disappointed with Aaron as well. But you know what? Aaron was disappointed with Aaron. You ever been there? Aaron was disappointed with Aaron. It's a lonely place when you have made big mistakes, everyone else knows it, and you know it. But you know what? God is gracious to someone who's humble at that place. Amen? Isn't he? 
You and I, if our Christian life was a job, we'd have been fired by now. True? Literally, if your Christian life was a job, you and I would have been fired. We would have been late too many times. We would have not finished certain tasks. We would have disobeyed authority. And yet God, his mercies are new every single day. Now, that's not a license to say, well, then I can just do whatever I want. Paul addresses that in Romans. I love what Chuck Swindoll says. I, I quoted, I just spent, I, I told uh, a pastor this week, I said, I must quote Chuck Swindoll's quote five, six times a year. The most holy people he's ever met are those that recognize and understand God's grace. Because when you really understand grace, it doesn't cause you to do whatever. It causes you to go to the foot of the cross and say, Lord, help me to be like you. That's what real grace does. It doesn't cheapen your life. It actually causes you to draw near to Christ. But Aaron was disappointed with Aaron. There's no question about it. You know, you remember the, the story of Peter. I, you don't have to turn there, but um, in the book of John, we know in John 21, remember Peter, just like Aaron was beside Moses, Peter was right there with Jesus. Jesus is headed to Calvary. It's just, you know, it's hours before Jesus is going to be crucified. And Peter's like, well, actually, not before that. Hours before he ends up kind of standing firm or grabs his sword. But a uh, little before that, maybe a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks uh, before, Peter had told Jesus, hey, everyone else, they may bail on you, but not me. I won't bail on you. Remember, he made this public, too. He had all the other disciples, eyewitnesses, everyone. Hey, the rest of you cowards, not me. And then he kind of backed it up the night in the Garden of Gethsemane when he grabbed a sword, and Malchus lost an ear temporarily. That, that story always amazes me. You know, when, when the Son of Man grabs an ear reaffixes it to ear, that, that ought to cause everybody in the room, to, or in the garden there to say, we might be dealing with the Son of God. <laughs> I have never seen anyone do that before. But everyone was like, all right, I got my ear back, where are we at? Uh, <laughs> you know, we're here to arrest you, yes, yes, check. But Peter stood firm for a little bit, but then a few hours later, he's cursing and convincing people three times that he didn't know who Jesus was. He blew it royally, didn't he? And I love there in John 21, remember, Peter really did love the Lord. And you and I have failed at times when we really did love the Lord, and we feel miserable after we fail, don't we? We lay in bed and say, you'll never use me again, right? But if you really are humble, if you're really contrite, God says, Come on in. I'll clean you off, and we'll start all over. And I'll actually build something. Do you know God used Peter far greater after that than ever before that? Sometimes we have to know, we have to know that we don't love God as much as we thought we did. That's good for us to find out, isn't it? that we find out, I thought I loved God this much, but I really realized it was only this much. And God says, now that I've you know, pulled the Band-Aid off and exposed the wound, we'll clean it, heal it, 
and you'll be stronger in the long run. He says to Peter, John 21, 17, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? This is the third time he said it. Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. He actually ordained him as the first pastor, not the pope. That's a different uh, theological thing. But he really was the first pastor. Jesus said, you're the one I'm going to start. You're going to be the first to preach at Pentecost. You're going to be the one I'm going to pour the Holy Spirit out. You mean, Lord, you would, you, I, you, I denied you three times. I read, yeah. You have genuine, contrite remorse, and that I will not despise, as he says in Isaiah. In the uh, book of Exodus, um, Exodus chapter, not Exodus, Genesis, we're in Exodus, but Genesis, uh, I apologize. In the book of Genesis, do you remember Joseph's brothers? They sold their very, forget submitting to your brother, they sold their brother into slavery, lied about it, but you know when Joseph met them, they eventually, their hearts were soft, and they felt remorse for what they had done. Joseph is a great example of what Moses does with Aaron. He does rebuke Aaron, but we know that Aaron is restored because there's no other rebuke that follows. All the rest of the punishment goes to the wicked people who refuse to, re- uh, to repent. Aaron is restored along with the rest of the people are restored. But Joseph, when he confronted his brothers, he says in uh, G- uh, Genesis 45, 5, speaking to his brothers, but now do not be grieved. Remember Peter was grieved? Aaron grieved? The brothers were grieved. Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves. Because you sold me here, for God sent me here to preserve your life. After God has been gracious with us, we cannot sit in self-pity and discouragement. We have to receive forgiveness from him and move forward. Because you are of no use if you will say, no, 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 I I still can't, sorry, I, I, I messed up too bad. God says, Do you realize how many have messed up too bad? 100%. I only use people who have messed up too bad. That's all I have to work with, is what God is saying. There is no other option. I could use a donkey, and I've done that before. Or a whale. But I'll use a person that is, if you're grieved, I'll take the grief away. If you're not grieved... That's a different problem altogether. That's a different problem. Let's look at our final section, death and devotion. You know, as much as Aaron was restored by the Lord, as much as Aaron was brought back and reused, just like Peter, not everybody else was willing to repent. And this is even more heartbreaking than failures. Failures, you know, you could be walking along in the Lord and get distracted for just a moment, right, and fall. A righteous man might fall seven times, but the Lord will get him back up. 
But if your heart is hard and God is speaking to you and you refuse, then at some point in time, God could say, that's it. And this is what happens to some of the children of Israel. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 7 and 9 says, You shall speak my words to them, and whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. God makes a distinction. There's those that obey and will listen to his correction. All of you were corrected at one time by your parents, right? Didn't it go better for you when you obeyed? You know? I'm not talking about if you had a dad that would really make you pay. I'm like, when you went and did some of the things that you wish you hadn't have done, you look back and you say, man, I wish I would have. Because some of them you kind of got away with. But you didn't get away with, did you? Because you wish you could go back and never have done them, some of those things, right? So you didn't get away with them. But again, at some point, now that you're here, and if you're walking Christ, you softened your heart. You didn't continue to go taking a long walk off a short pier. You stopped short of that and said, I'm going the wrong direction. I'm going to run. Again, I, I always say there's people, there's two people in the world. There's people running to God and people running from God. That's it. Well, I'm not either. I just kind of stand here in the middle. I don't run to him or, or away from him. I wait for him. No, you're either running to him or you're running from him. What did Moses say to the people? He said, all those who are with the Lord, come and stand with me. But if you're not, you're either for God or against him. He's either your friend or he's your enemy. You don't want God as your enemy. The one that actually holds the entire universe in your hand makes pretty light work of his enemies, doesn't he? The only reason God doesn't annihilate all of his enemies is because he has compassion for them, love for them. Only Jesus could actually be on the cross and say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I mean, they just nailed spikes into him, opposed to him, hatred of him. And the same situation here, there's a group within the children of Israel that says, Moses, we're not buying it. We're not buying that the God of Israel is the true and living God. Yes, we heard him speak the Ten Commandments. Yeah, we saw that, 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 that little trick at the uh, Red Sea. Yeah, we saw the manna. We ate it. Pretty good stuff. Water from the rock. Plagues over Egypt. Those tablets you came down. I don't know, how, I don't know what language you just wrote those in. Yeah, we, all that stuff looks interesting. But we're not buying it. We'll stick with our own gods. And this is what the world says isn't it? Ray Comfort this week, uh, I, I sent, uh, sent this to some folks. Ray Comfort did the most. Uh, Ray, if you've never watched Ray Comfort, Ray is a classic and a one of a kind. Uh, but Ray's um, blog post this week on his Facebook site on becoming an atheist is fantastic. 
Uh, he's like, he had a couple of rules. He goes, the first rule is for you atheists, if you want to become an atheist, make sure you ignore everything in nature. Ignore all the complexities, ignore everything, completely suspend your mind from reality. He had a couple of rules that they had to follow. Because it takes a lot of work to deny God. Right? It takes a lot of work to deny the still small voice of God, the commandments of God, the word of God, the creation of God. And instead of being repentant, there was a group here that was defiant. Not only will we not stop worshiping, we will not listen to God's bid. They had the same opportunity. Moses, come on over here. Everyone could have come. Jesus invites the whole world to be saved, but you know what? Some will choose not to come. We'll say, I'm not interested. Two thieves on either side of the cross. One said, I'll come. One said, thanks, but no thanks. I'll tell you what you should do. You know, that's the arrogance is he told the Son of God what he should do. Whereas the other one says, please have mercy on me. I've sinned. I've lived a life of worshiping a golden calf. Would you still forgive me? And just like Jesus to Joseph, uh, Joseph to his brothers, yes. They were defiant. They lacked the fear of the Lord. Many lack the fear of the Lord in the United States today. We are a nation that's turning from God, mocking him, thinking, oh, he'll never do anything. But he will. There'll come a time when he'll pull out his own sword, not just like the Levites that drew the sword. Death will eventually come with rebellion. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. It's a silly logic. It's like saying, well, I won't be judged because I've not been judged yet. It's like saying, well, I won't die because I haven't died yet. It's, it's faulty logic. Judgment will come just as sure as death will come. It's not just death and taxes. Judgment you can throw in there too will come. It's actually, it'll come upon the earth. That's why I said the rainbow speaks of one judgment that ended, but another that's coming. The tragic end here, 3,000 people fell. 3,000 died. Not a one had to die. God would have extended mercy, mercy and grace to every single one. Every single one. Not a single person in this room has to go to hell. Not one. But some may choose to. Because, well, no, I'd, I'd rather have all I can get out of this world. I have people that I've witnessed to for years that still haven't come to Christ. Now, I'm still praying they do. Uh, we had a testimony of uh, one of the ladies' uncles in here got saved this week at the age of 76. I'm sure he'd heard the gospel a lot. His brother's a pastor, right? So God still, even in the later years of life, can still get a heart. But, you know, some people do die unrepentant, and the law will fall on them the same way it did here. What's beautiful, though, in the, in the New Testament, Acts 2.41, do you know this is a picture of a future, this Pentecost here, the time that they've left uh, the land of Egypt, and the Pentecost, here though the law comes down from God, the law literally comes down from God, but at the Pentecost after the cross, the Spirit comes down from God, and 3,000 are saved that day at the preaching of Peter. Moses, he smashes the commandments and 3,000 die. Peter 
calls upon the name of the Lord, the Spirit comes down with a different kind of fire, instead of a fire of death, a fire of baptism. The Holy Spirit baptized the church, and 3,000 were added to the kingdom. Isn't it beautiful that we see that God's desire is when His Spirit falls, He desires that men would turn to Him, not be condemned, not willing that any should perish. Lamentation 3.22, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. That death that didn't need to happen, and the last thing we'll look at this morning, the devotion of Moses. I wish I had more time to spend, I don't, but it's impossible to understate the heart that Moses has. Now remember, he is a type of Christ. We talk about uh, foreshadowings in the Scripture. We talk about duality. The Scripture is meaning multiple simultaneously true things at the same time. Moses is a type of Christ. He's not Christ, obviously. They will raise up to you one like unto Moses, and that will be who? Jesus of Nazareth. And Moses says, you've committed this great sin. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. This is a picture of Jesus. Who's the only one that can make atonement for the law being broken? Jesus Christ, which we'll commemorate with the Lord's Supper in just a moment. This is a beautiful passage to lead us into the taking of the Lord's Supper because Moses is actually speaking, typifying the Lord himself because only Jesus could come and make atonement for completely rebellious, fallen, mistaken, discouraged, disappointed people like Aaron and the people. And Moses is going to go up a hill as Jesus would go, as I mentioned earlier, up to Jerusalem to make atonement for the lawbreakers. Uh, By the way, that's you and me, right? The lawbreakers. Those who have broken the law, those who have violated God's perfection. But we see uh, he spent so much time with God, 40 days and 40 nights of fasting and prayer with God, he's thinking like Christ. Remember all the time that Jesus had compassion on the multitudes? Let this cup pass from me, nevertheless thy will be done, that he would actually give his life a ransom for other people. And Moses is spent so much time with God that he's thinking like God. Yet now, if you'll forgive their sins, blot my name out of your light, book of life. What? Go ahead and scratch me out of the book of life. I will be condemned that they might live. Now, it's foreshadowing again. Jesus would be condemned to the cross that we might live. He would be condemned to a death that he did not deserve. He had never committed a sin, never violated the Roman law, nor the Jewish law, but that he would be condemned that we might live, and he would take an unjust punishment. And here Moses, who had not sinned against the Lord in this instant, would take an unjust punishment. And God says, no way. Whoever sinned, I will blot out. But I'm not blotting your name out. And there we see also, although he'd think like Moses, he'd think enough like Jesus to pray a prayer. Can you imagine praying that prayer for your kids or grandkids? Father, if they would be saved, let me go to hell. You talk about someone who loves their kids or grandkids, but I don't care. Not 
many people could ever pray that prayer. Moses, you, you just don't pray that prayer in the flesh. You have to spend 40 days in the presence of God, if you will. Paul prayed a similar prayer. We looked at it a few weeks ago in Romans chapter 9. Paul said, For I could wish that I myself were accursed from my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption and the covenants. Paul said he, he would rather be accursed that his countrymen might be saved. Now, the last thing here. When we're devoted to Christ, we will have a love for lost souls that will blow our own minds. Did you catch that? Paul had it. Moses had it. Very few men have had it to their extent. But the question is, do you have a compassion and a heart for people who are dying, even though they're wicked anyway? Moses knew they deserved what they would get. Jonah didn't have that heart. Jonah was like, drop fire on Nineveh God. Burn. Let it burn. They're wicked to the core. But Abraham had it. He pleaded for Sodom. Moses pleads for the people. Paul pleads for his rebellious countrymen. Where is our heart? I'm not saying that you have to get to the place you're praying this prayer. Thank the Lord he wouldn't answer that prayer. He didn't answer it for Paul, nor did he answer it for Moses. He said, no, 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 you will not ever take their place. My son did that work. But I like that you care enough that they would be saved. Do you care enough to write a letter to your long-lost cousin or grandparent or a co-worker to take them to lunch and, and ask them a question about their soul? Do you care enough to get to the place that you would intercede and pray regularly for people? This is what the intercession here looks like. This is the devoted life to Christ, that you not only are devoted to Christ vertically, but then you begin to be devoted to Christ horizontally to people. Amen? This is what Jesus did that we will partake of in just a moment. I ask the worship team to come up as we close. And just take a few minutes now to search your own heart. We've looked at a lot over the last three weeks, and if you're just visiting with us today, you, you've gotten a lot even in a short period of time. But search your own heart. Is there golden calves that need to be tossed out? Don't wait for God to grind on the powder. You grind them to powder. You place them on the altars. Uh, what about your own? Is it just... Um, hindrances, things that are keeping you from spending time with the Lord that need to go? Have you lost thankfulness for the cross? You're just not, you're just not that thankful for it anymore. It doesn't mean Paul never stopped preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified because it never loses its power. I've been reading, uh, I, I, some of you know I love the book uh, from R.A. Torrey, The Baptism with the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the book, the, the fifth chapter, he gives seven reasons how power goes out of the life of a believer. The first one is sin, sin coming in. The, first one, the second one, he says, is when we have no longer separated ourselves unto Christ. Do you agree Moses was separated unto God? For a short period of time, Aaron didn't separate himself unto God. He actually separated himself unto the people. 
That's a big mistake, isn't it? If you make your boss at work a bigger boss than God, you've got a problem. Separated unto Christ first. Everything else will fall into place anyway. You'll still be, you'll be a better employee, by the way. But it goes, he goes on, other things that, uh, that, that creep in. But those are two big ones. Sin, not being separated unto Christ. He talks about uh, one of the seven is the cares or the riches of the world. Jesus warned about this. Remember in the parable of the seed, uh, he talks about that one of, the, one of the ways that it's drowned out is the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of the world. You know, Jesus made a special point to, to put that one in the short list. Right? Persecution for the word's sake. I don't know what they're going to think about me, so I'll just not say anything. Right? All these things are spurning the cross, aren't they? So just as you have a few moments, just the Lord will reveal. Say, Lord, reveal to me where the dirt is, where the hindrances are, where the idolatry may be. If you didn't do that already today before you came here, which I, I have to do it daily. I don't know about you. I'm like Pastor Lewis Neely. I'm 24 hours away from uh, doing something else, right? Now, I, I don't think I am, but I know that the book of Jeremiah says the heart is deceitfully wicked, and who can know it? So I want to stay really close to Jesus. Amen?